Uh, we are uh, looking every week at um, big themes in the Bible that kind of run from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, uh, Dr. Davidson, uh, I got to listen uh, this week. He did an awesome job talking about uh, the temple and God's dwelling uh, and mountain and how those themes uh, run from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Uh, in the first week, we talked about the sea uh, as a metaphor for chaos and kind of bringing things back into decreation and, uh, and what God does there. So here's our kind of big statement. Uh, this is why we can talk about the themes. Uh, I did a big intro two weeks ago. I'm not going to go through all that again. I'm going to do it in like four minutes just to keep reminding you where we are. But the reason we can look at a theme all the way through is because the Bible is a theologically unified, historically rooted, progressively unfolding and ultimately Christ-centered narrative of God's covenant work in our world to redeem sinful hand, uh, humanity and his creation. Um, and again, I'm not going to run through anything, but the Bible is one story. Though it's written by almost 40 authors uh, over, you know, over 1,500 years uh, of history. It's an amazingly unified story. And one of the things I showed you to, to prove that is a chiasm is an old, <laughs> is a Hebrew is an old, they, didn't, they didn't do punctuation. They knew exclamations, periods. But what they would do is they would start with a thought and they'd come back and end with that thought to let you know that the thought was over. That's a chiasm. And if you even look at the Bible itself, and I'm not going to go through it, it is a massive chiasm. Uh, Genesis 1, uh, creation of heaven and earth. Then you have the marriage covenant in Genesis 2. Then you have the destruction of the serpent promise in Genesis 3. And if you get to Revelation, it is the chasm happens, right? Uh, Revelation 19, that serpent actually gets destroyed. Uh, then you have the marriage covenant of, of the lamb and the bride, the church. And then you have the creation of the new heaven and new earth. And so you even see, like from beginning to end, it is telling you this is one big story that has begun and has ended in Revelation 22. Uh, and it is, the reason we say it's progressively unfolding is because... <clears throat> It's written in history of certain times and certain contexts, but as you walk from Genesis to Revelation, it's, it's not giving you new information. It's more like, um, it's more like if you're in a completely dark room and you started, you started barely turning on the lights. If you did that in here, if it was pitch black and you barely turned on the lights, you would start seeing stuff. Like you'd be like, is that a chair? Is that a table? You wouldn't really know. You'd kind of see it. And as the lights turned on more and more, you would see in clarity what was already here, right? The light didn't make those things come here. It was already here. And that's how the Bible works from Genesis. The, light, the lights are kind of dim. <clears throat> as you walk through, they come on really bright in Jesus. And so we are seeing clearly what has always been in the Bible. So, you know, the joke I used uh, was, uh, you know, this picture, what's there? This is like halfway through the Old Testament. You're like, ooh, I can make out those are two people. And then this is Jesus. Here we are, right? That is Travis, Kelsey, and, uh, and uh, th they've always been there. That's actually my wife, by the way, uh, on Halloween. Uh, but the light revealed it. So <clears throat> what we're doing every time is uh, we're picking a theme and going to show you how the lights come on throughout the uh, Old Testament into the New, and you fo more fully see it and understand it, and then try to apply it to our life. So... <clears throat> um, where we're going, sorry, <clears throat> is this idea that uh, there's a huge theme in the Bible uh, about, about worship. You could say that the Bible is about worship. That's one of the huge themes. And the word worship uh, comes from the uh, old English word that is worth, worthship, <laughs> uh, which means you're ascribing highest worth to something. So I'm worshiping whatever I ascribe my highest worth to. 
So Keller, he's great at talking about this, always says whatever you value, whatever you love the most, whatever is your greatest source of significance or security, that is your worship. That is your worship. That's what you're worshiping. That's what your heart is set on. And so the Bible assumes that we were actually made for worship. It's as much a part of your your makeup as the fact that your lungs were made for oxygen. You have to worship something. Uh, it's like, uh, worship is almost like an IV needle. <laughs> like, it's just a matter of what you're hooked up to, but you have to draw life from, from something. That IV needle can't be in nothing. Um, and here's what's amazing as you walk through, and I hope we'll see this, as the dimmer comes on, as the lights come on more and more, it's not only that we, that we all worship, even if, even if um, even if you don't believe in God, you're still worshiping. What you begin to realize is worship is so powerful that it actually shapes you. And actually, whatever, whatever you worship, it actually shapes you into its likeness. So you start becoming like whatever you worship. That's the big theme in Scripture. That whatever I, re- whatever I revere, whatever I, uh, I, I, put, uh, you know, I set my worth on, Rather than me shaping it, it starts shaping me. It starts making me in its image. So the big statement is this, uh, and a lot of this is coming from this book, We Become What We Worship, uh, is we all imitate whatever we revere, and you will become like whatever you revere. You'll become like what you worship, and that is either going to be to our own ruin or to our own restoration in life. And so just, just think in terms of like, it, it's not even an accident that we, that we all imitate. My, um, I always use my son as an illustration because uh, he's the one who's given me permission to. He actually tells me he loves the illustration. He says he loves the attention when I do it. So, uh, and like, I remember uh, two years ago when Ole Miss on uh, their national championship run, like Clark always wanted me to take him out and throw him baseball in the backyard. And what he would do is he would just imitate the players. Like, I don't know if you remember, it was like Chotney would always kind of like do this with the bat. And so there would be Clark. He'd like be doing this with the bat until, you know, until I would pitch because he just, he revered them. He, and so because he revered the baseball team, he was just imitating them. Uh, I was sitting uh, in, a, um, uh, in a food place on campus uh, this past week, and we looked up, and there was a uh, group of college girls. They were dressed exactly the same. I mean, same type of skirt, same type of shirt. Why? Because they revere the sorority they're in. And because they revere the sorority in, they imitate what's around them, uh, even though they all want to be a little bit different. You're like, actually, it's the same. Uh, we're just, we're imitators uh, by nature. My, my dad is from New Orleans, and I used, to, I used to laugh at this. I could always tell, if he was on the phone, I could always tell when he was talking to his uh, brothers because he changed his accent. He started, he started talking like this New Orleans accent that I never heard. Why? Because he, he reveres his brother. He loves them, so he starts imitating uh, what it was like to talk to them. And so that's the big principle. Uh, and Ralph Waldo Emerson, who I think was a believer, he, here's what he says, though. <laughs> a person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Um, there it is. So, do like a 15-minute walk through the Bible. Are you ready? Because uh, we started late. I'm, so, I'm sorry. But here we go. 
So Genesis uh, 1, right? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so the dimmer lights come on barely, and we see Adam and Eve made to, ready, image God, made to, re- they're, they're, they're the pinnacle of God's creation. They're to ref- Adam and Eve and all human beings are supposed to reflect to the world what God is like. And here we go. Before sin enters the world, they are revering God. They're worshiping him. They love him. They trust him. And so look what it, look what it says they're supposed to be. Because they, they love him and worship and revere him, they're supposed to imitate what he is like. And you already see that in these verses, right? What is God like? God creates. Uh, God is generous. God uh, has dominion. God has relationship. And so it should not surprise us that what they're supposed to be like as they revere him is theirs to rule, they're to multiply, they're to create life as they love each other. And so Adam and Eve, as they revere God, the, the one true God, as they reflect that glory, they, they're to image, and they, they do, <laughs> to the watching world what God is like. And so they're supposed to be creative and selfless and all that kind of stuff. Right? So you, you see it from the very beginning. But then what happens, right, in Genesis 3, <clears throat> the serpent shows up, uh, this fallen spiritual being, and tempts, tempts Adam and Eve, and they distrust God. They take things into their own hands. And so instead of revering God, instead of loving and trusting and finding their worth in Him, they actually start shifting their allegiance. They start revering God and listening to and giving worth to what Satan says. But watch, they do not quit worshiping at that moment. That's impossible. Whatever your heart clings to, whatever you, whatever you, you say, I gotta have this to, to be okay, whatever you treasure, that's what you're worshiping. And so if I don't worship God, I will worship something in creation. The serpent, myself. And what's interesting is their allegiance shifts from God, and they quit revering him, and they start revering Satan, and they start listening to him. Well, how, okay, how do you just see in these verses, how do they start becoming like Satan instead of God? You tell me. What, are they, what happens? What is Satan like, and how do you see them start becoming like him? Okay, this, so Satan has rebelled and says, uh, I don't want to be submissive to God. I want to kind of call the shots. And you, and you see, that's what they do in their, own, uh, in their own sin. They say, I want to call the shots. Satan, yes, it's really interesting. Uh, Satan kind of manipulates the words of God. You actually, you actually start watching Eve starts doing that too. She changes a little bit of what God said. Uh, Satan lies to them. And what do they start doing? They start lying. <laughs> they, they start blame shifting. They start, you know, and what you're starting to realize is like they've started revering creation. They've started revering uh, Satan. And what is Satan like? He wants to be autonomous. He's full of darkness. He's a liar. He's selfish. And they start becoming, wanting to be autonomous, full of darkness, selfish, liar. Like, here's what begins to happen. Any time that we worship creation or ourselves, we have to inflate ourselves because we're trying to take the place of God. <laughs> and so, so Satan is arrogant. Satan is prideful. 
And so what we start doing when we worship, we try to inflate, inflate ourselves and make ourselves bigger. Than we, we try to put other people under us. Uh, and so then you get to Exodus 32, and this becomes the um, kind of the hallmark, the, the repeated picture of idolatry, of worshiping creation rather than the one true God in, in, uh, in the whole Old Testament. God has delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. They've been in bondage. Uh, if you're familiar with this, okay, if you're not, uh, miraculous plagues, brings them through the Red Sea, Moses up on a mountain for 40 days, talking to God, receiving the law. So Moses is revering, worshiping God, but while on the mountain, the watermark of idolatry occurs as the people are like, where's this Moses guy? <laughs> We're on our own. And they tell Aaron, they're like, make us, make us something to worship. <laughs> and so Aaron makes a golden calf, uh, and they all worship them. And, when, and look what God says. God says, uh, uh, so, right, these are your gods who Israel brought you out of the entrance they're worshiping. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. Behold, is it a stiff-necked people? Now, what does stiff-necked describe? Anybody know? Stubbornness. And it's, and it's the description of a cow or an ox. Ox and cow are stiff-necked. They want to go their own way. Uh, they, 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 they don't listen to other people. And so it's very interesting that as these Israelites are turning aside, wanting to go their own way, refusing to listen, they worship a golden cow, and God says, you're becoming stiff-necked. You're becoming like what you worship. You're turning your own way. You're, de you're, you're dehumanizing yourself. Pretty fascinating. Uh, right? And then you get to uh, this one. This is a little, this one's in, uh, I remember my, my seminary professor pointing this out. So, <laughs> uh, wild story. Philistines capture the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is, you know, the, where the visible presence of God is. And it gets captured and taken into the temple of Dagon, which is the uh, god of the Philistines. And so as that, as that idol, as that, as that Dagon is in front of the Ark, every time the priests come and check on it, it keeps falling down. Uh, on its face uh, in front of, uh, in front of um, the Ark of the Covenant, showing that, like, this is not a real God. And then one time when they come and check, the head of Dagon is severed off, all right? Well, you fast forward a couple, this should be telling you something, you fast forward a couple chapters later, and the, the warrior of Dagon, of the Philistines, is Goliath. So who does he worship? Dagon. What happens when David, David defeats him? He severs his head off. Like, he became exactly like what he worshipped. His end was exactly like the thing that he worshipped. Yes, a stone uh, <laughs> knocks Goliath down, but David cuts his head off because he comes, becomes exactly like what he revered, and his end is exactly what he, like he revered. So you imitate whatever we revere. We become like whatever we worship, and that's either going to be for our own restoration and life or for our own ruin. If you worship the one true living God, uh, you will have victory in him one day, someday. But worship Dagon or other idols, and it will uh, head towards destruction. So, all right, lights are continuing to come on, and then you get to the Psalms, and it becomes ex very explicit. Look at this. Their idols are silver and gold. They, the work of human hands, they have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. So it's talking about these idols, right? They can't see. They can't hear. They, they have those things. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them, O Israel, trust in the Lord. And so just becomes explicit. 
that if you worship creation, these things that cannot really be your savior, they cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot protect you, you will actually become like them. You will start becoming to where you can't hear and you can't spiritually see <laughs> and you can't, like, you will become empty and lifeless like the thing that you worship. It's a really sobering thing. So think about it. Like, so let's try trying to think, okay, what are, what are things... Um, might not have right, you probably don't have this kind of statue in this living room that you're bowing down to. But what happens if my worth, my worthship, what I'm revering in my imagination all the time is success? What would it look like for that to be the object of my worship and me become like that? Right? If, if my attention and my revere goes to success and that looks like rising in my community or my work or my family, what does it mean that that starts shaping me? I become like that. Well, there's, um, I remember reading one time about Phil Knight, who started uh, Nike, uh, amazing businessman. Uh, it's the reason Oregon uh, has all this money. And when he was telling a story, he can remember right when they were on the brink of hoping to find, because Nike was not the dominant shoe market. Um, and they started out as just a running uh, shoe. And uh, he was watching the Olympics, the marathon event, and he's watching in anticipation because he knew uh, the, uh, what was his name, uh, somebody shorter, uh, Frank Shorter, who was supposed to win the Olympics, was going to wear Nike shoes. And so, he, so he can't, he's like, this is our coming out party, right? And so he's watching it on TV, and he said he switches from soda to vodka the moment he watched Shorter not walk out in Nikes, but he walked out in a different shoe brand. And he says, I'm watching him run off in these other shoes. He says, uh, <clears throat> he says it surprised him how much it affected him. He said, I realized at that point, Nike was more than just a shoe. I no longer made Nikes. Nikes were making me. Because he, he got cast into such paralysis and kind of, uh, kind of fear. And he says, I won't say that I became upset every time I saw someone walking down the street in a running shoe that wasn't mine, but it definitely registered. So, May, I hope I'm not taking this analogy too far, but okay, just what are shoes? Shoes are great. <laughs> They're an asset that help you move comfortably around. They help you get places. But what do you do? You just, when you don't need them, you take them off and throw them in a closet, right? And did you hear it? As Phil Knight, Knight worships success through shoes, what he found was, he, I'm not making Nike. Nike's making me. And guess how he becomes like a shoe? His happiness and identity is whether, whether somebody puts, him on, puts it on or takes it off. And his identity, his happiness, was just as shallow as a shoe that could be thrown off because he didn't wear it that day. And that's how fleeting success is. If I worship success, at some level, I'm going to become as unstable and empty as success is because it can be taken away tomorrow. I'm going to keep trying to get people underneath me, uh, but I'll be fickle because that's what success is. So you can keep going, and for the sake of time, if you look at Jeremiah, this one, right, just look, thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness? And what happens? They became worthless. He even talks about how they sacrificed their children to Baal, like literally, just hard to think about. But look what his judgment is in verse 9. So I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. They became like their idols. Right? He lets the Babylonians siege them and take them to captive, and became, they, the starvation becomes so real that they, they resort to cannibalism. They ca became like the thing they worshipped. Um, until you get to Isaiah 6, right? 
And Isaiah sees this temple, this train of the road, you know, uh, train of the road fills the temple. He says, woe is me, a man, unclean lips. God applies uh, this coal, says you've been forgiven. And then he sends them out. He sends Isaiah on it. He says, who will go? He says, I will go. And so he sends them out to proclaim salvation. But look what he says. He says, um, okay, you're going to go to these people, but they're going to keep on hearing, but they will not understand. They're going to keep on seeing, but they will not perceive. They're going to make the heart of these people dull, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes. Look what's happening. The people of God have become exactly like idols. They can't hear because that's what they're doing. They can't see. They can't appreciate who God is. And he says, you're going to go proclaim this, but they're going to be just as lifeless and empty as the idols that they worshiped. Um, it's, really, it's really unnerving. So there's a sense the Bible ends showing you this huge principle. that You'll become like what you worship. But what we naturally do is we worship idols. We worship creation. And that starts ruining us. It makes us unable to hear, to see, to listen, to follow God. And so you have this darkness. And then you get to the Gospels, right? And what, what, what does Matthew uh, and, and, and Jesus and these other Gospels, what do they call the religious leaders of the day who have idolized uh, their obedience, who have idolized their knowledge? He says they're blind. He says it's like blind people leading blind. And so You've got these people who, ha- who are entrenched in the Bible, but have so worshiped something else that the God of this universe is standing in front of them and they do not see him. They do not recognize him. It's that empty. And then when you get to Acts, right, if they're blind guides, when Stephen retells the history of, of, of God and is calling them to believe, look what he says. He says, you stiff-necked people. And man, they knew what that meant. They knew exactly what that meant. He was calling them an idolater. And what do they do? How, how they respond is, it says, it says they close their ears and they start screaming and they run and they kill Stephen. So they are literally trying to close their ears, right? They, this is, this is, it's idolatry, trying to put away God. And then, uh, you know, Paul makes it uh, explicit Right, look at it. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Imitate us. But he says, many whom I've told you, even with tears, walk as enemy of the cross, and their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame, and mind set on earthly things. What, what, the end that's going to happen is destruction because there is no power in that. That's, that's the way it's going. Um, we could go on and on. I have a whole revelation thing. We don't have time to talk about that. But um, So... <clears throat> Here's the good news, though, right? Uh, What happens when Jesus shows up? When the revelation of God himself, the power of God, the salvation of God, what starts happening? You start seeing blind people see. You start seeing deaf people hear. And yes, that is physical blindness. That's a miracle. But it always has a deeper meaning, too. The light of the world has come, and people are seeing. There's a rich man named uh, Zacchaeus who, when he meets Jesus and reveres him and worships him, what happens? He starts being generous with his money because that's what God is like. (laughs) That's what Jesus is like. Zacchaeus starts looking like Jesus because he's free from the idol of money and has started worshiping him. He starts becoming like him. 
And isn't it interesting that in, in Matthew 23, uh, talking about the final judgment, actually, he says, come, you are blessed, my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here's what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was naked, and you clothed me. Which means one of the number one characteristics of people who worship him is you start caring for vulnerable. You start, you start giving food to people. He says, because that's actually me you're taking care of. You're becoming like Jesus. Uh, like you're being conformed to the image of Christ as you worship him. You are changed. And that also means that what you'll look like in this world is a suffering servant. Right, uh, that will show the biggest loser, um, which would be kind of this incredible weight loss show, right? They'd always have these people uh, that were, um, uh, really, their, their life was in danger. Uh, they were so overweight. And there'd be this trainer that was like fit, you know, looking at him, and, and it would just say, just do what I do. Do what I, do what I tell you, and you'll look like me. Okay? You've got to imagine Jesus full of wounds, blood streaming from his forehead, rejected, and saying, if you want to become like me, imitate me. That's what it's going to look like in this world. A suffering servant of selfless love, but when you see that he's done that for you, it starts changing you. So much so that, right, this is what it says. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared because we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is purer than First John. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to the other, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the awesome promise, is that when you begin to worship Jesus, you actually become like him, because you always become like what you worship. It has that much power. It does not matter how much sin and how much corruption is in me. He is more powerful, and he will begin to transform you. Um, and I know that kind of seems abstract, but what that means is if you want to change, change what you worship. How do I change what, my wor- what I worship? It's a work of the Spirit. <laughs> Something Because our worship is the, of the faculty of the heart. But the Spirit can do it, and you cry out to Him, and He'll keep working. When it describes free of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that is describing, all that is is what Jesus is like. That's why they're the fruits of the Spirit, because you're being changed into Him. And I become like Him by, by being amazed at Him, by adoring Him, by seeing His beauty, and that captivating me more than these other things that I cling to. So the whole goal of Sunday mornings is not to, like, uh, whatever, get you to act right. <laughs> the whole goal of Sunday mornings, we hope, is the Spirit is working to enable you to see the beauty of Jesus so that your heart longs for him and begins to trust him because as that happens, you will become like him. He'll do the work. <laughs> uh, but, the, uh, but the Word and by his Spirit will show you Jesus. So, I don't know, is there any, uh, we got, like, two or three minutes can you think of uh, anything that our culture, even personally, we worship and carried out, how that starts forming you into that thing? I realize it's kind of a deep thought, but I, I did it with success in Nike's. Yes, Mr. Buddy.
There you go. Talking about it's a uh, cooler way of saying whatever I revere, no matter what skin color, what background, whatever you revere, you're going to become like that. Thanks, Mr. Buddy. Y'all need to learn whatever Mr. Buddy says, you need to listen to. I'm telling you, the man is uh, tons of wisdom. Good. Think about this. If, you, if we worship money, which, again, if we live here, we struggle with that. If you worship money, we will, we will start defining ourselves in terms of, we will start seeing people as either debtors or creditors. We will start treating people like they're consumers or partners uh, and customers rather than actual human beings. Why? Because that's what money is like. It'll start, it'll start making people seem transactional rather than actual people uh, to be loved. So Ligon Dung says, if you worship money, you'll find that you become greedy and stingy. Nobody sets out to worship money. Nobody sits down one day and is like, I'm going to worship money. <laughs> but it feels like it's, it's giving me security. It feels like it's giving me comfort. And I look up, and it hasn't making me more human. It's making me less human. I'm treating people like they're creditors now. Um, you go on and on. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Any other examples like that? Sports. You become, you become like the sport, which is... Uh, <laughs> that's right. You become like the sport, which is pretty, which becomes pretty fleeting, which means uh, my happiness and stuff uh, rises with my team's success and it falls with my team's failure. And uh, yeah, yep. And Nick Saban isn't around forever. So Alabama's finally realizing like, dang, this thing isn't going to hold on forever. Uh, right. It gives out. Work. Yep. Success. All kinds of things. So, um, yeah, uh, 10.30. Anything else? I mean, look, if you, if you, worship, uh, if you worship sex, think about it. what that, then, then uh, we start treating people as if they're objects for pleasure, which is, ne- that is not at all what human beings are. But that, it starts to distort. It starts, you start becoming like what you worship, uh, and it dehumanizes you. Uh, again, you can just go on and on. So, but the hope, man, is like Jesus is more powerful. He's more better. As the Holy Spirit works and you see him weekly, daily, uh, you will become like him. Uh, so the old hymn, Fix Your Eyes on Jesus, is actually really, really good instruction. So let me, uh, let me pray for you. Uh, <clears throat> Lord, uh, this, is, this is kind of a hard principle to see. Uh, sometimes it's hard to kind of, uh, it can feel kind of abstract to say that we become like what we worship. Uh, but you've shown it to us, and uh, we've felt uh, that kind of emptiness in our own soul. Uh, sometimes when we give our worth to created things. Uh, but we're admitting that uh, worshiping you is a matter of the heart. And... Um, you told Nicodemus that unless someone's born again by the Spirit, they cannot even see the kingdom of God. So I, I just know that we need your Spirit to work. Uh, give us eyes and ears to see and to hear Jesus and to see him who he really is, that he's more beautiful than anything else. In your son's name I pray. Amen.